0: I'd saved up a little bit of money and I had, I don't know, I think like $1,100 in an envelope in my back pocket. And I got up, <clears throat> got out of the vehicle and I walked up the steps and I knocked on this man's door. And, uh, and this is where I get emotional because it's powerful. But uh, I knocked on the door and he opened the door. <laughs> Trey Lewis
1: with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. We are live. Good morning. I am here with my friend Rush Jolly on The Comeback, and it is our hope this morning to just be able to share his story of God's goodness and love and miraculous power. Um, as Rush has been a friend of mine for approximately 20 years. And, uh, and by the way, let me say this, I'm battling a cold this morning. I'm sure that's just kind of stating the obvious, so I apologize on the front end for that. Um, but as we as we get in here this morning and just really explore Russia's journey and, um, it, you know, that, that we want to use this platform, this podcast, is to um, encourage and to inspire, you know, this morning, even as we were praying that it would just impact people who are listening and whether that is somebody who is completely uninformed, that doesn't know really anything about addiction, um, to those that are in the middle of active addiction, to pastors and leaders and people that, that as you hear this story, that I know that it's going to speak to people on so many different levels, you know, really with, um, you know, just that kind of being my intro, I just wanna go ahead and jump in to, to Rush's story and I might, you know, stop him at different times and drill on some areas, but really want him just to communicate his story to you guys.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Trey, and thank you for having me. Um, it's really good to be here. And I wanna go ahead and apologize up front too because this seems to be one of those mornings where I'm clearing my throat about 700 times. <laughs> so <laughs> if that, uh, if you guys get that feedback there, I apologize. Um, so, yeah, so obviously I'm here to tell my story and, you know, I'll do my best to tell you guys, you know, what it was like growing up and then, you know, kind of transitioning into active addiction and then ultimately recovery. And, you know, the goal is to tell you a little bit about what life is like now because that's the true miracle of 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 recovery is is just the change, the, the transformation that takes place as a result of, you know, doing some pretty difficult things. So, um, but I love doing this. I love really anything recovery-based, and uh, I mean, it's, it's my life. It's, it's part of my identity, you know, and who I am, and it's my story, so it is, it is so good to be here. So yeah, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, March 31st, 1982. Um, moved to Atlanta, just north of Atlanta, Gwinnett County, uh, when I was about six months old. Um, dad was an alcoholic. Mom later became an alcoholic. Uh, my brother was... Uh, you know, just the guy that couldn't do anything wrong. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he just got the good grades and he behaved, and you know, he's just as normal as could be. And and I was was not that way at all. Um, but my dad ended up getting sober in 1987, so I guess I was five years old. They got a divorce a couple of years after. Um, uh, I took my first drink when I was six years old. It was at a family wedding, and. Uh, and I remember, I, I don't know how many I had, but it was a lot. And I drank, and I threw up, and I passed out, <laughs> right. made a spectacle. It was just this whole deal. Um, you know, so right out of the gate from the, from, from the first time I ever put a drink in my body, you know, it was, it was off to the races, you right. know. And, and maybe it's because it tasted good. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that memory, but, but what I know is that I got drunk. Um, so anyway... Um, you know, just a little bit about my, my childhood. I don't want to spend too much time there, but, you know, I grew up, um, loved sports, uh, hated school, uh, got into a ton of trouble. Um, again, as I mentioned, my brother, you know, was just kind of the guy that couldn't do anything wrong, at least from my perspective. And, um, you know, but that being said, I mean, he was, he was always a guy that I looked up to and I, I loved him dearly. You know, one of, uh, one of the coolest things about my brother is that, you know, when, when I started kind of going down the path of, of, you know, just to addiction and just, just all the stuff that, that I encountered at an early age, you know, he did his best to kind of, you know, kind of rein me back in. And he brought me to church. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that I remember about going to church is just feelings <laughs> incredibly uh, just left out and just... Um, I just felt so unique when I went there. Like, you know, if I come in here and I get honest with people, like there's no telling what kind of looks I'm going to get. And uh, so there was always that sense that I needed to kind of hide my life, you know, and, and just kind of what I was up to. And at that point I was, I mean, I was drinking, I was stealing my mom's liquor and I was smoking pot with kids around the neighborhood and stuff like that. And, you know, my mom had started drinking really heavily at that point, um, you know, but she would, you know, come home and and uh and start drinking about four thirty in the afternoon and, and she essentially would just pass out for the rest of the night. And so I kinda had free reign to go do as I pleased and, you know, that's that's never good for a twelve year old. And my dad was out of the picture because they were divorced. And um so at that point, you know, again, you know, my brother took me to church and and somewhere along the way, you know, I bought in. You know, I just bought into this to this thing, you know, that that there was you know that there was a God that loved me. Um, you know that that had some sort of um, you know control over 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 this world and, and and the people in it and and I didn't fully understand what it was. Um, you know, but I, I remember that I did get saved and you know I gave my life to the Lord. And but it was just a it, it was a very uh, <laughs> um. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It was it was a an internal conflict is the best way to to describe it because, you know, the things that I was doing on a daily basis, and then you know, and then buying into this idea that there was you know a God that loved me and that I needed to to live a certain way. You know, and it was just kind of a lot of back and forth. And you know what I remember is is I remember being in church and I went to a Southern Baptist church uh, in Lawrenceville. And I remember sitting in those pews, and and this is what I heard. I'm sure this this preacher said a whole lot more than this, but what I heard was, if you do A, B, and C, you're going to burn in hell. You know that's what I heard, and uh, and I remember making promises and and making a pact with God every Sunday morning, like, okay, I'm not going to do these things anymore. Um, and I swear, by 5 p.m., I had broken every single promise, right. and so. You know, just, that was my first experience in the church and, and I just, I remember just feeling just so desperate to kinda get out of this this life that I was in at the age of like 12 and 13. Yeah. And I wanted things to be different and I and I didn't know how to do that.
1: I wanna just, just pause right there and, and drill because th- this is an, an area that um, is of great concern to me. Um, and, and I think to, to pastors and leaders all over the United States is, um, and some people are more informed. So this is—it's um, kind of a broad stroke statement. But the reality is, is, is this is where I see the breakdown in in the church. And so you, you've got somebody that's that's on the front end of addiction. You know, you were early on. You know, maybe you could have been reached, maybe not. Right. But I just see it a lot of times that you've got the guy that's in full blown active addiction, full blown meth addiction, heroin addiction, you know, uh, alcoholic, whatever, you name it, painkillers, comes into a church. You know, you've got the pastor that, that preaches, they come down, they respond to the altar call, they pray, they cry, they receive Christ. We, we leave. Everybody has the best of intentions. No doubt that God moved on that human being's heart. Everybody leaves. The staff goes home. They're celebrating right. that person coming forward. But the reality is before the pastor, you know, finishes lunch, that guy's back out doing the same thing that he was doing before he walked in there. And... And and that's of, of great concern to me. And then, you know, we show up next week and he's not there, you know, or they're just going through that whole scene again. And or they they outsource the addict to, you know, the Christian counselor who's on staff that then meets with the individual once a week. And, and again, it doesn't mean that they're an ineffective counselor or something like that, but when a person is that way, and I'm not saying that I love those stories, you know, and, and, and when, when, when there's somebody that, you know, really is full-blown in addiction, and there's some sovereign experience that God, you know, shows up in their room or meets them at the at the altar, and they literally lose the taste for it. And, that, and that's amazing. And I'll celebrate those stories, but I want to say out of over 20 million drug addicts and alcoholics that are in, over the age of 12 years old according to time magazine that are in the united states today that's not the experience for, for for the far majority of them and they have to be then pulled out of society and put into a treatment facility a place with boundaries a place with structure you know and hopefully a place that's going to be able to hit the medical side the clinical side and to be able to bring the the spiritual side, and so that's always a big concern of mine I don 't want to derail the, the, you know what, what what we're doing here and communicating your story but but I just think that that is is an area that the church has to realize that hey that, that we're not equipped to deal with the majority of these situations. I want to put them in a facility and then also realize, okay, what kind of facility is actually going to help steward their faith in christ right so
0: no, yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100%. And yeah, the, <laughs> you know, that, that experience that I had, I think was just proof, not to turn this in, into an AA meeting, but you know, you, you look at the 12 steps, which are, you know, a great tool for somebody, you know, in, you know, trying to get into recovery. That's and right. I mean, that first step, that, that utter powerlessness, I mean, that, that's what I was experiencing right there. And I didn't even know what it was. That's right. All I knew was that I was struggling and I, I wanted to do something so badly about my problem. But I didn't have a chance in the world. Yeah, you know I, I, I wasn't even exposed to, to the solution at that point. Right. So, you know anyway, moving along, um, you know had that experience and and uh, you know the next several years is is uh, just much of the same. I mean honestly, it was just you know me getting into a lot of trouble. Um, you know suspended from school somehow, I don't know how I made it through the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I have no idea how that happened. It's just a complete uh, blur. But what I do remember is that i I made it into high school, um, barely. I was there for about six months. Um, And, you know, just prior to that, I had gone to my my first, um, well, really what it was is it was a mental institution. You know, at the time, it was Charter Peach for the adolescent unit, um, you know, for substance abuse and behavioral problems. And, uh, and so, you know, I went there, I was there for an extended period of time. I mean, you don't even hear people being in treatment for like an inpatient setting like that for 90 days. But I did that twice, one at Peachford and then one at, at, uh, at Ridgeview um, in Smyrna. And, and I just remember, you know, those experiences and just kind of looking around at my peers and going to school and just seeing people playing sports and, you know, doing their homework. And it just seems so foreign to me. Like, how are these people getting through life? Like, that was my experience. And, and here I am like, going to <laughs> mental institutes and, yeah. you know, I can't keep my word. I, I'm, I'm prom- making promises to God. I can't do any of that stuff um, because I'm just, I, I just am in the grip of this thing called addiction. Wow. You know, it's such an early age. And yeah. um, so I made it to my first treatment center when I was 14. I stayed till I was 17. Um, you know, that's where I met Trey. Um, somewhere around 98, 99, excuse me. And, uh, and so, you know, we met there and and we were both trying to get clean and, and, uh, you know, for me, it, it wasn't, it wasn't long. Um, I think I blew out of there again, 98 or 99 and, uh, and was kind of back, back to the races. Um, and so, yeah, so, so ages, you know, 17 to, to probably, you know, 21, you know, I was just kind of doing, <laughs> I was just doing what people do out there in addiction. You know, I had been introduced to, to methamphetamine and, and you know, I, I'll touch on this real quick just because, you know, you hear people talk about like what's your drug of choice, you know, and and I like to call methamphetamine my drug of, of, of no choice. Right, because I mean, I literally, like I, I didn't even like it. I remember the first time I did it and I was just like, I'm never doing that again, you know. Like this is horrible. Like I couldn't sleep for like 36 hours, and and before I knew it, I, I woke up six months later, and I was 140 pounds, and my family was gone, and my car was gone, and my job was gone, and everything was gone, and I literally had no idea how it happened, and it, and it was just, I mean, that's just the life that I was I was engulfed in, and uh, and so, and there were mo- there were moments, you know, in there where, um, you know, I, I would I, I would you know, detox from the meth and then I I would just drink and then at some point I was introduced to Oxycontin and, uh, and that was the thing that like really, really like blew the wheels off for me. Like that was, like you hear addicts and alcoholics talk about, you know, their experiences with you know, with drinking the first time or using a certain drug the first time, and how they would just remember everything about the situation. And that was mine. You know, I don't remember exactly the first time that I did meth. I don't even really remember the first time that I took a, put a drink in my body. But I remember the first time that I took an oxycontin, and I remember the way that I felt. I remember the chair that I was sitting in. I remember the apartment complex that I was in. I remember everything about that night, and just thinking, I want to do this as much as possible for the rest of my life you know, because that was, that was it. And I think that that's, that's important to mention, you know, that feeling that, cause that was probably the, at that point in my life, that was the best feeling that I had ever encountered, you know, at that moment. Yeah. Um, that would change. Um, but I'll get to that, you know, a little down the road. So, so that was my experience with OxyContin. Um, you know, and we all know where this path leads, at least, you know, for me, I could not stay out of jail. Uh, at that point, I think I had been arrested Probably two or three times, and uh you know, but I remember getting involved in selling drugs, and I remember um, pulling up to a gas station one night, and you know i was I was just in the midst of that life, I was up five days down to you know meth again just kind of had me in its grips and um, and I was you know, doing methamphetamine for, you know, several days or even weeks on end. And then I would come down and, and, uh, and I would take Oxycontin for a period of time and then I would pass out and then I would wake up in some sort of like either trap house or just, you know, really, really just, you know, not a great place. Um, and I would wake up and all of my stuff would be stolen. And, and that was just kind of the life that I lived for, you know, for essentially years, you know, and it just got really old. So, you know, I, I didn't know anything about friendship, um, you know, if I had any, any real friends, I had, you know, left them long ago, you know, back in my youth when I was playing sports and, and when I was still going to school. Um, so this was the life that I knew. And, um, you know, I had remembered that, you know, my dad had gotten sober in 1987 and he had introduced me to some people in the program. And I knew and kind of in the back of my mind that that could possibly be a solution for me. Um, but, you know, that wouldn't come into play until, until I was arrested for um, selling drugs to a confidential informant um, somewhere around 2001. And I remember being in the back, back of the cop car and, you know, getting to Gwinnett County Detention Center and, and being in there for a couple of months and just kind of having the thought, you know, because <laughs> jail does one thing, and it does one thing really, really well, you know, it gives you a time to really look at your life. And, and all you can do is just kind of think. And I couldn't help but look at my life and just say, you know what, something has got to change here. Like there's got to be a better way. You know, I had no idea how to attain that, but I knew that there had to be a better way. And so um, I started reaching out to my, to my father and to my family and doing the things that we do. I was making the promises, like it's gonna be different this time, you know. And, and here's the thing though, like this time, like I really meant it. Like I wanted things to be different. And so I remember getting out of there. I think I spent eight and a half months in jail. And I remember getting out of there and going to live with my dad and somebody that he was living with at the time. And I started going to meetings and, and uh, but I hadn't fully bought in. And there was this whole other, you know, part of my life that had, you know, just produced so much confusion and just complication. You know, there was this girl um, and she, uh while I was in jail, she was pregnant, and you know I thought the child was mine. She had the child uh, probably right before I got out of jail, and so I got out of jail thinking that like, okay, like you know, part of my thought process here was like, okay, I've got a child now, like I've got to get out of jail here, and I've got to do something with my life, you know, and so I felt that pressure, and uh, and anyway, I ended up getting out of jail and moving in with my father, and uh, and somebody that he was living with, a, a really close friend of his. And, um, and then a few months down the road, you know, my dad sat me down and, and he had a talk with me, and he said, you know, Rush, I, I don't know what to tell you here. I'm not a psychic, you know, but something doesn't feel right about this, you know. And at the time, I think I was just so blind and just so, just enamored with, with just trying to do everything that I could, you know, to get clean and to stay clean, because you know that 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 monkey was still on my back. Like everywhere I turned, every time I passed a gas station, I had a memory of selling drugs there. Every time I passed a hotel, I had spent time there just for days on end. I mean, literally, this is like where I grew up doing like all the dirt, like in Gwinnett County. And so I just remember like still having that thing on me and not knowing like what to do about it and just all this pressure. And anyway, so long story short, I ended up getting a DNA test, you know, done and found out that my dad was right, you know, like he knew you know, even when I couldn't see it, like he knew, like he told me, like something's not right here. And, uh, and so I had, had a a great deal of respect, you know, for my, for my father and his sobriety and just his ability to, to, to see that, you know, just to see the truth in that situation. Um, And, and on some level, I I think that did a whole lot for me because what that allowed me to do, it allowed me to, you know, kind of refocus my efforts like on recovery, you know, and at that point I wasn't using and I think I probably had like, you know, close to a year sober or or really just clean. Um, But at that point, like I really dove into, you know, to the program and into the 12 steps and I got a sponsor. And, you know, one of the things that I like to touch on when I tell my story is, is I remember going to the Gwinnett Room, you know, and going to an AA meeting. and, uh, And I remember, you know, meeting a guy named Ross and this other guy named Nick. And this other guy named Russell. And these guys took me under their wing. You know, I'm, I'm an emotional guy, especially when I talk about my story. And, I, and I, I'll try not to <laughs> let this get the best of me here, but, but it's a big deal. And I like to touch on this because, you know, prior to this, you know, all, all I had experienced was people trying to take from me, you know, and, and not like I'm some victim because I was out there doing the exact same thing to people. I mean, that's just the life that I lived. You know, but here are the, you know, these guys that I'm introduced, you know, to, and and they take me under their wing, and it appears as though they don't want anything from me, but just to help me, you know? And so I think this was the first time, like, the first introduction to, like, um, ah, just a, a true friendship, I guess, is just the best way to, to describe it. And I didn't know it at the time, but these guys would 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 grow to be, you know, become, you know, my best friends, you know? And, and that was just such a powerful experience for me. Um, I felt like I belonged somewhere for the first time in a long time. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I started working the 12 steps and, and I had, you know, quite an experience in the, in the 12 steps. At that point, I believe on some level I was reconnected to God for the first time in a long time. And, uh, and i went on to you know to to work through those steps and i remember doing an inventory and i remember doing a fifth step and i remember um you know going through 6 and 7 and i remember making a list and this was really where i hit you know um kind of a roadblock you know this is where i i became unwilling to go any further you know and 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 this is probably one of the most impactful things that's really ever happened to me because here was this moment where, you know, in the eighth step, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to make a list of all the people that you've harmed so that you can go back and clean up your past, right? And, you know, at the time, I don't think I understood or even realized how important, um, you know, that was going to be and how impactful that was going to be in my life. Um, you know, but, but I made a decision, you know, to go through this process and when I say I hit a roadblock, what that means is, is there were some, some people on that list that I made that I was just sure if I went to these people and I told them like what I had done to them and what I had stolen from them, that I was going to be in prison for, for the rest of my life, you know, cause that's the life that I lived. And so in my mind, that's what I believed to be true. I didn't know it at the time, but you know, when you go through that 12 step process, like you know, you look at step one, like, you know, okay, powerlessness and unmanageability. You look at step two, came to believe, right, that there's a power, right? Um, step three, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to that power, you know, and then four is the inventory process. Five, you're sitting on a couch reading your inventory to a, a sponsor or just another human being, right? And God is a part of that whole process. Six and seven, are um you're becoming ready to have God remove the, the, the defects of character. And in seven, you're asking him to remove those defects. And in eight, all you're doing is making a list. But in nine, what happens is, is you're going out into the world, right? So the sponsor's not there with you anymore. So in nine, like this is your experience. Like you are walking hand in hand with God, putting your faith and your trust in him, that he's gonna carry, through, carry you through some of the, the, the scariest thing that, things that you're about to, that you're about to do. And so that was my experience. And, and I'll tell this story um, because, because it is so impactful. There was one amends that I needed to make that, um, that scared me the most. And it was partly because it was a man that was very intimidating. It was a guy that my father uh, used to live with. Um, you know, And at the time, I didn't know anything about this guy. All I remembered about him was that in my mind, he did my dad wrong. He kicked my father out of his house when he had just been uh, laid off after 9 11. Um, and, you know, in active addiction, what I had done is, is I remembered that. And, you know, I was kind of hard up. You know, I don't know what, what had just happened, but I, I think that I, it was one of those times that I had been robbed and everything had been stolen from me. And, uh, and I hadn't gotten high in a really long time. And I was willing to do anything and everything. To get some dope in my body, and so I went to this man's house, and and I broke in and I took everything, I mean anything and everything that had any sort of monetary value, um, and I drove off and uh, and went straight to the dope man's house, and was back off to the races again, and and again what I remembered about this man was that he was, um, he was very intimidating and. And I just remember thinking, like, this is not going to go well. And so my sponsor, after, I don't know, at least a couple of months of, of me kind of giving some pushback, you know, had, had convinced me, you know, that this was the moment, you know, that I, I had to put my faith in God and let God walk me through this process. And I had to go out there and I had to face this man and, uh, and I had to tell him what I'd done and I had to ask him, you know, what, what could I do to make this right so again, I didn't have the guy's phone number. I remembered where he lived. I got in my car, <laughs> this little 1994 Plymouth Acclaim, uh, first recovery vehicle. And, uh, and, I, and I drove out there and it, it was just such a funny experience because I just remember the fear. I remember pulling into the driveway. I remember my, literally my knees shaking as I was getting out of the car, just being just so engulfed with just this, this this overwhelming fear. And uh and I had saved up a little bit of money and I had, I don't know, I think like eleven hundred dollars in an envelope in my back pocket. And I got up, <clears throat> got out of the vehicle, and I walked up the steps, and I knocked on this man's door. And uh, and this is where I get emotional because it's powerful. But uh I knocked on the door and he opened the door. And uh, and I, and I told the guy, you know, my name is Russ Jolly and I'm, I'm here to, uh, I'm here to make amends to you. Um, I broke into your house several years ago and I took everything that had any kind of value. And, uh, and I was in the midst of my addiction and I want to know what I can do to make it right. And, uh, and so I told the man, I said, I, I'd saved up a little bit of money and, um, uh, and I was here paying back. And so I pulled out the, uh, the envelope and I handed them the envelope and, uh, and, and remember, this is a time when, you know, being involved in the 12 steps and going to a lot of AA meetings is, is my life. Like, this is how I'm getting by, you know, this is how I'm, this is how I'm essentially getting this monkey off my back. Cause I'm still driving around and I'm still having the same experiences and I'm still wanting to get high uh, on a pretty regular basis. And, uh, and, and this man takes this envelope and he, he, he takes $300 and he puts it in his pocket and he hands it back to, back to me. And he says, you're going to need this more than I am. And, uh, and he said, by the way, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and all he said was, thank you for coming here today and good luck to you. And, uh, and you know that was the moment that I that I finally realized that like, you know the God thing was real, you know that it was possible for me to to have a personal relationship you know with God and and to put my faith in Him even when I was so certain that it was going to go so badly, and uh, and it just didn't you know the opposite happened, and and the feeling that I had driving away from that house that day you know, I talked about the, the, the feeling that I got from that Oxycontin. And the reason why I told that story about the Oxycontin, because up to that point, that was the best feeling that I had ever known. And the feeling that I had driving away from that house today was better than any drink or any drug I'd ever put in my body. Um, and so that was the start of me truly buying into this, to this God thing, you know, you know, because, you know, for me, it was one thing to be saved. It was one thing, you know, to become a believer you know but but the but the moment that you start to have a personal relationship ship with your creator like nothing beats that you know and i think that's what this this recovery thing is all about that's what it has to be about it has to be about a personal relationship with god if you don't have that then you're never going to have the power necessary a to beat dope to beat alcohol and and b to to go out into the world and to be successful mm-hmm. and to have meaningful relationships, you know? And so that was the start for me. And that's when I truly became a believer in this process, yeah. you know, this, this recovery process. Um, it did so much for me and I'm so grateful for that sponsor that took me through that process, uh, that encouraged me time and time again uh, in my unwillingness. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that was just, that was an incredible experience. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, at that point, that you know, my life had had really kind of taken a change and or taken a turn, you know, for the better. Uh, ended up getting a really good job, um, and uh, was able to save up some money. Um, you know, still going to a lot of meetings, uh, still being very active uh, in recovery. Uh, started sponsoring people and that was uh, insanely beneficial. I mean that was just that was one of the, the, the most incredible things that, that I've ever been a part of is, is sponsorship. You know, taking somebody through that work and, and introducing them to this process and 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 not just that but you know I remember you know being in the rooms and I remember you know watching people you know come in and, and, and just be completely broken and completely desperate. And, and picking up a white chip and just hearing the, the insanity that would come out of their mouths when they shared. And then I remember, you know, because I stuck around long enough to watch people go through that process. And I remember, you know, watching those very same people, you know, that, that struggled so much, you know, get up behind that podium, you know, with this year, a year sober. And, uh, and, and their families are up there talking about, you know, the, the transformation that's taken place in their lives, you know. And uh, just to be a part of that, that entire process was just, it was just incredible. You know, work was going really well. You know, I had met a girl who um, who I, I saw a real future with. Um, and, and I was involved in, you know, I started going back to church, um, you know, and I, and I believed at that point that I, I had a real relationship with God, you know. And I had, you know, some great relationships in my life with, with people that were on the same path as I was. It was just an awesome deal. So, you know, with these podcasts, I think we have, you know, limited time. And, and I think there's, there's quite a bit that, <laughs> that obviously I left out in this story. Um, you know, but some of the points that I wanted to make were, you know, just, you know, the importance of, you know, obviously the, the 12 steps in my life and, and, you know, what kind of impact that had on my recovery um, you know, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, being reintroduced to, to true friendship. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the experience that I had, you know, in the, in the fourth and fifth steps, and then also, you know, the process of, you know, learning to trust God, um, and then ultimately that, that ninth step experience, which, you know, I kind of go back to uh, even today, you know, just that being so powerful in my life. And, and, and I could honestly sit here and talk about um, just the gifts and the blessings for, for hours on end. You know, it's, it's just really hard to imagine. You know, it's almost like when I think about my life in addiction, it almost feels like like another lifetime. You know, I've been sober for 11 years now. And, you know, the fact that... <laughs> that I used to, to, to live that life and and, and behave that way is uh, is mind blowing sometimes and you know and I've I've talked about the step process and I've talked about sponsorship and I've talked about a little bit about my relationship with the people in my life and my family and just how all that stuff has just been completely transformed and, you know, but I think one of the things that I really haven't touched on is 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 the change in attitude, the change in behavior, um, you know, just as a whole. Um, you know, I'm I'm challenged on a daily basis. Um I'm convinced only because of the people that I surround myself with. Uh that is one of the biggest things in my recovery is is to make sure that I'm with people, you know, that, that have a relationship with God, you know, that, that challenge me to look at 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 my behavior on a daily basis. And guys, I you know, I drop the ball. I mean I do. Um, you know, none of this was done perfectly. And, you know, but one of the things that is huge for me today is, is honesty. Honesty and transparency and accountability um, are, are three of the biggest things that I, the biggest tools that I have in my life today. And, you know, I practice that stuff on a regular basis. And I think one of the things that it helps me do is it helps me stay, you know, on the beam. It helps me, you know, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, buying into some story, you know, centered around pride or ego or, or something of that nature. This has been a, a really, really cool experience. You know, I appreciate the, the opportunity to come here and to share with you guys a little bit about my story. Uh, you know, the process that's unfolded here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been great. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was awesome.
1: It was powerful. You know, so many different areas that we could really drill down during your story. Um I just the uh, just the profound impact on me as I sat here and listened to it, the unconditional love of friends. I mean people who met you there and, you know, as you came out of uh, an environment or a subculture that was all about what you could take and, you know, driven by self centeredness and um, you know, just getting high and at it, it whatever cost. And you know, to be able to meet people and just think, gosh, they don't want anything but to see me get well. And they're not looking for a paycheck and they're not looking for anything like that. It's just, it's just so refreshing. Um, You know, as you hit on, you know, God being there, you know, as you started to walk out um, step nine and to, you know, be out there on your own and just, I mean, anyway, I mean, not to to go back and, and try to retell the story, but just, I mean, just where we could just spend hours and hours on unpacking, all of that, right. um, and then finally, um, you know, I think too is as people listen that you know it's easy for somebody to intellectually agree with these truths, but where the rubber meets the road is whenever you show up and think I don't know what's about to happen here. I don't know if I'm getting ready to go do another three years in prison for burglary. I, I, I have no idea, but you just show up. And, and I think that that's the difference. And, and I think what we're always pushing for is that, you know, it's one thing to be able to listen to this stuff and and agree, but, you know, are you willing to use God's grace and his power to actually walk this stuff out right. and to, to make... Um, to make those amends and and to make the world a better place and and just to operate in in such a a spirit that is so contrary to what used to drive us and um, anyway man I just was was just so encouraged listening to all of that um, Rush um, if I didn't say it on the on the front end of this episode is our director of clinical outreach you know such an asset to. Our community and to our team, um, like I said, we've known each other for twenty years. He swears that I introduced him to heroin going on the record and um you know, and I mean, it's just, just to see how how God did all of that and brought us for full circle. I mean, it was kind of neat too because even our dads ran in some of the same circles. Um, back in Starkville in, in Columbus Mississippi and That's so crazy. And, and just all, all, all those connections and then now we get to run together and do this thing together um, it's just it's just really incredible so I hope you guys were encouraged today inspired we'll probably come back and just hit on some other parts of of his story that you know just because for the sake of time we weren't allowed to but um, just look forward to having him back on the show so bless you guys. Um, Be encouraged. Um, Let us know if there's anything that we can do for you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call It's 770-570-7422.